is a burning thing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Pizza Pod sponsored by Bernatello's Food. More specifically, lots and lots of pizzas. I am YHH's Peter Adney. I'm here with St. Cloud Cathedral head coach and offensive mastermind Derek Brown. Thank you for joining me. Uh, no problem. Offensive mastermind, is that a term that you're comfortable with? Can I keep calling you that? Uh, you know, I think that the kids that I've had the last couple of years had a lot to do with that. So, <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep the title until the, the summertime when we have to kind of regroup and rebuild the thing. I'm going to make you keep the title. So you're doing uh, you're doing online class today because of uh, the school being shut down. And you teach history and business at St. Cloud Cathedral, right? Yep. yep. Okay, so if you're a business teacher, I want you to tell me, is the stock market going to be okay? I hope. <laughs> That's all I can give you right now. I mean, I, I, I have a firm belief that a lot of companies are going to do the things they need to do. And, and I just, I hope that it will. Okay. What about my IRA Roth fund? Is that going to be okay too? Um, let's just, let's all hope that everything is okay. <laughs> That's okay. You can avoid giving me a straight answer. It's all right. <laughs> well, the, the reason that I wanted to talk to you was uh, we were watching your team from the press box during the state tournament and your, your kids had three players below the dots on a penalty kill, I believe. And we were watching defenders swoop in so low into the offensive zone on a penalty kill. And I started thinking about defensemen and how when I was a kid, the prototype defenseman was Chris Pronger. You know, big, bruising, uh, big hits, maybe, maybe a little less appreciated for his offensive ability. But it seems like your program has really embraced having offensive defensemen. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that the, the game back then dictated big, hulking, puck moving just but at the same time structure wise like zone fillers type defensemen mm -hmm. it was more clutch and grab and that was back in the trap and kind of that was the thing to do where I think the game has changed over the last 10 years where people want excitement and, and I think excitement is letting those guys on the back end go and getting back to the Bobby Orr's and kind of the, the idea that Paul Coffey and those people were really fun to watch and it's it's amazing when they can join a rush and make a play and I think you've seen a lot of teams kind of change what, what they look for, obviously, in a defenseman. Do you think that, so whenever we think about, let's use football as an example, and you watch kind of the spread offenses taking over, everybody always says it goes from high school to pros. You know, they started doing it in high school, then the colleges started doing it, and now the pros are going to start doing it. Is that how it works with offensive defensemen as well, or does it trickle down from the NHL to uh, college to prep? You know, I think it actually, I would say that I think college was the first one where you really started to see kind of the, the unique puck moving activated defensemen. And then I think because of that development at the college game, the pros kind of had to shift who they were obviously going to look for. And I think the combination of the two, because as a high school coach, you're always looking to the highest level for new ideas. Because mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's just kind of the, the wave that it goes. And, and I think that over time, you know, you talk to different college recruiters and, and they're looking for guys that want to jump up and make plays. And so as a high school coach, you want to give your guys the best advantage to, to get to those next levels. And, and I think it just, it kind of, it was fluid through all those different avenues. And I think that the biggest thing we wanted to see, and I think you're seeing it even when you look at the wild, the, the Dumbas and the Spurgeons, that seems to be the wave where mm -hmm. you, you want guys with high end skill set, both defensively, but also offensively, because if you can add another guy into your rush and, and just how, how good everybody is and the speed of the game. I mean, you almost need to have that fourth guy activated or 
you're just not going to find the space that you need to. And I just think that you've seen the change at the highest levels. And then obviously I think that a lot of the, the old school coaches and also new waves have kind of worked together. And you've seen just kind of a change in the narrative on what you're teaching your defenseman and what you're trying to get from them. So is there still room for a big, you know, six, five, two forty Dustin Bufflin type defender if they can't skate as well as uh, maybe some of the Kale McCars and Quinn Hughes of the world? Yeah, I, I still believe that. I think Jacques Lemaire was, he, he had the best analogy for it. You know, when you're in the elevator with a guy that's 5'10", you don't feel very uncomfortable. But when you're in an elevator <laughs> with a guy who's 6'5", it's uncomfortable. You know, you got somebody that big that's around. I mean, they even though they're not right next to you, it feels like they're right next to you. And I still think there's there's plenty of room for Chars and those kind of guys in the, in the NHL. I just think that you're seeing, the best part about this is that it used to be, if you weren't six foot and above, like, there's no place for you. you no, know, there just wasn't for a while there where it's like you're kind of telling guys you might want to convert to being a forward. I remember like that was conversations that used to have to happen as kids would develop. Like you're not growing, so you might want to move to forward. Where now, mm-hmm. if you can make plays and you can activate yourself, there, there's a place for you. There's a spot for you in a lot of different leagues and teams. And that's exciting for kids that don't get the gift of having six five worth of height. You know, that's a good point about uh, telling younger kids that they might be looking at a position change because it feels like, at least at the youth levels, the big kids get put on defense. Your big athletic kids get put on defense and they're told to rush the puck 200 feet because they're the biggest and they're the fastest kids on the ice. So maybe the new way of playing defense uh, rolls into that a little bit where the kid doesn't have to pass the puck. He can carry it. He can do what he wants with it. And he's building skills that he can carry over into high school and into college. That'll be more appreciated. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I coach and I do a lot of stuff with the USA hockey program too. And I think this, you know, the ADM model came along in this long-term athlete development model came around Mm -hmm. 10 years ago too. And I remember watching a a video with coach Van Gundy talking about basketball, how (laughs) it used to be the biggest guy in the court would play center. So they only learned to do post moves. And then all of a sudden these guys from Europe, well, they had point guards that were like six, five, six, six. And those guys learned how to run the floor and how to shoot. And, and their skill set was so much more developed when they came over to America than what we were teaching our guys. And I think you're seeing that happen in all areas, all positions. I know when I grew up, it used to be the biggest kid now to play defense or if they weren't the best skater, put them in net. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's just, it's so wrong. It's just, it's not, it's not correct. And I think that it's, it's a wonderful thing that a lot of youth coaches are buying in to let kids play multiple positions and be open to a little bit more creativity and, and just the, the idea that sometimes the best plays to be had are the plays that don't always work out because those are the most teachable moments. And the only way you can allow kids to, to make mistakes is to, to open it up to, to those avenues. And I think that a lot of it's a credit to youth hockey because as a high school coach, I know and I'm sure any other high school coach would tell you the only way our game's going to continue to grow is through those adult volunteers that do the long hours that they do in youth hockey. And a lot of those guys have had to change how they coach and they have. And I think you're seeing just the talent level this year at the state tournament, I think was some of the best we've seen in a long time. And I think it's only going to continue to grow. And I think it's partly because we're allowing kids to play multiple positions and, and they can be creative in those positions. And that just makes for a lot more enjoyable games to watch as a fan. Well, it also gives kids uh, more of an opportunity to move on in hockey, because if you put them in a box or you have them, on such a narrow development path and it turns out, you know, they're not great at whatever they've been trying to develop, then they don't have any other option. But if you teach them to play multiple positions, it goes from, well, you can't play defense. You can't play for us to maybe 
well, you might not be able to play defense, but we can use you at forward. Yeah, I think that's the bit. I, I cannot tell you how many times over the last five years we've had guys that can play both. And I just think that's such a huge asset for them. And I remember at the beginning when, when I was telling guys that it's good to play both, there was hesitation because there was a long time there where you were taught, you know, I've been a center since I've been a mite. Well, yeah. I don't know how you were a center in mite hockey, but that's, you know, but how do now we even have there. positions in mite hockey? Exactly. And that's, I think coaches have gotten away from, you know, that's kind of the, not always loved by every coach in America, I know, but just the cross size, small area games and just skill development, because if they have skills, if they can skate and they can handle a puck and they can shoot, there's a place for them. And, and cause I just think the game offers multiple positions for multiple players with high end skill sets. And I think that's been more of the focus. And I think that's why you're seeing a game that, you know, has featured some unique things. I, I wouldn't say that we, we encouraged three guys below the dot in a PK. But <laughs> that was, you know, Reed Bogenholm. That was just him making a read. He felt like we had the right pressure areas and that he'd be open. And it, it happened to work out. And he scores a goal off shorthanded. And after the game, like the Mankato East coach said, he'd never seen that before. Well, we obviously didn't really teach that. But that was him making a play and kind of reading and reacting and having the skill set that he does. And I just think it makes for entertainment. And then it also creates new avenues. You know, it creates new strategies and new ideas that maybe haven't always been thought of as rational before but maybe will be considered well the forward pass wasn't considered rational when it first uh, came out of the scene in the early 1900s and look how that worked out yeah exactly i just think overall when you have defensemen that can activate and can skate i think it creates such a more distinct fun game that and it it creates a matchup headache for opposing coaches as well yeah because it's just you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're already, you know, sometimes we'd have a, a really high structured power line that people would talk about the last couple of years. And then you add people that we had on the back end, like Bell and Bogenholm and Zins. And all of a sudden now they're jumping into rushes and it just becomes almost unmanageable for teams. It's, it's almost overwhelming when, yeah. when you have guys on the back end that can also join the rush, make a play, can handle a puck, just like some of our high end forwards. And it's as a coach, it's a huge advantage. So during the, uh, obviously Reed and, excuse me, <clears throat> Reed and John have been with the team and their skills have been evident for a long time, but how have you, how appreciative are you watching them grow and blending the, the raw athleticism with a commitment to following through on your systems? What's that been like as the head coach? You know, that's all, that was the challenge when, when we got Reed as a, a freshman, he was gold. And that was, I mean, he was green light all the time and, and it, and that's fine. He was a young, young boy trying to figure out the high school game and, mm-hmm. and he had peaks and valleys where he'd be very successful some games. And then we play some teams. I remember when Reed played Hermantown as a freshman, that was an eye opener because he's trying to go end to end and you got jocks and Sandlin <laughs> coming back at you and you make a mistake and Ahmad stepping up and you got Sandberg on the back end and it's gone, you know? Yeah. So I just think that his development and then John coming, you know, John, when he came up to us, he actually played forward his freshman year, which I think for John was one of the best things that he ever did mm-hmm. just because he didn't have a defined position in youth hockey. And we had a lot of defensemen his freshman year. And so we put him with Smith and Perbix and, and he really had to develop his offensive game. And I think that's really helped him in his development overall as a defenseman when we moved him back there as a sophomore and then as a junior this year. So those are just two examples of guys that have, as they've grown up, they've just learned when the right time to go and and when the time is to stay back. But, you know, John's the, I think one of the best examples I can give you because he'd never had a, I watched him as a peewee and a bantam and he played forward and defense throughout the year 
He played forward for us as a freshman, and then he's played really well as a blue line of the last two years. So I think that that's not bad. That that and that was they were hesitant, his family and him. Should I do this? Is that going to hurt me? And I don't think it's hurt him at all. I think it's really in the best avenue I had for a resource was we were doing the HP camp, and you know you got an alumni like Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt, for <laughs> it's a pretty Cathedral. good, uh, pretty good advertisement yeah. for defense. Yeah, and he as a freshman and eighth grader for Cathedral, he was a forward. He was not a defenseman. He played forward those two years, and he said that was one of the best things he ever did. And when you watch Nate play in the NHL, you can definitely see he has attributes and skill sets of that of a forward, but it's his skating ability and his ability to kind of control the game that makes him a, a top-four defenseman on an NHL very like driven team of letting their D be activated. Mm-hmm. So when, when Nate Schmidt says, Hey, I did that. And that worked out for me. It makes it a lot easier to, to go back to John and see, <laughs> see it, didn't, it didn't necessarily hurt his development. So, I mean, that, so it's been there, you know, it's, it's happened. I just think it's becoming more known and more accepted as we've kind of gone through time here. Why, why are players and, and parents to an extent, why are they so nervous about switching positions? Is it just a, a lack of comfort with the new one? Do they feel like, Maybe being asked to switch means they're not very good at their natural position. I just think that there's so much pressure on kids when it comes to the junior and college aspect, because we had that bubble there, which I think will start to decrease a little bit now with the new NCAA rules where kids were like committing at 14, 15 years old. Oh yeah. We were there for all of them. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is with that, while it's not a bad thing, I think what it did is it created a pressure on the ones that did not. Yeah. Like, oh, why am I not? What is wrong? You know, what's going? And it's, it has nothing to do with that. And like we always try to tell kids, I mean, I mean, college is an ever evolving thing and, and there's fits and there's programs that, you know, there's those late commits and there's guys that commit at a young age that never get to the end that they want to when it comes mm-hmm. to a verbal. So I just think that sometimes people talk to people, you know, and you get some voices in your ear. And, and I think now, though, what I've really noticed is that even the voices in the ear are being more pro No, it's not bad. It is good that you have options. It's okay that they can play both. And that doesn't, it used to be kind of like what you said, a a discredit to their ability. Like, oh, you're not really a great defenseman. You're not really a great forward. No, it's, it's actually a credit. It's, it makes you even more versatile. And I think more valuable on teams because the game's getting bigger, faster, stronger injuries are happening at a more prevalent rate. So the fact that you have a guy on your roster that can do both, I think that adds for a coach and for organizations and for colleges, that adds a, a huge luxury that they can do both. So you and your cathedral coaching staff, you look down the bench and you see these super talented defenders. What is that? Is it a little bit like being Bobby Fisher playing chess where you think, okay, I can move, I can move these pieces pretty much wherever I want to. Yeah. It, it honestly, as I said, you know, the last three, four years, those guys just, if, if I can stay out of the way enough and let them (laughs) just play, they can make you look really good. And that's what they did. You know, they were, they just were so high end and it didn't matter. You know, when you have four really good D that can play and can play a lot, it makes your matchups. Even if you don't get exactly what you want in a away game or you're the away bench in a state tournament, you don't necessarily feel panicked because you got two guys on the back end that can break a puck out, can relieve pressure and ultimately can make a play if they need to. So it's been a luxury. Like I said, the last three to four years, we've had some really high-end offensive defensemen, and it's been, uh, as a coach, just a pleasure to watch them. And really all you try to do is add little skill set drills and do things that you can in practices that can incorporate them being evolved and making plays so that hopefully their skill sets advance. And, and you know, like I, I'm big on we try to lessen the structure and more allow the freedom when you have those kind of skill set groups because – 
they don't come along that often and they'll learn the other part of the game. They'll learn the systems and the structure as they go up and up and their development levels with other teams. And I think what we tried to do is really emphasize the skill and let them allowed and be allowed to make mistakes and give them advice and pointers, but still grow. I think that's the only way you can grow is if you're allowed to do those things and have the freedom to, to grow throughout the year. So yeah, and, I mean, and- the last couple of years it's been great because those guys like i said even when they make mistakes they're so skilled sometimes that they'd make a mistake but yet they'd still catch the guy in the back end yeah like nobody was, nobody uh, would notice if they made yeah you know sometimes that was with reed it was the hardest thing because he's such a good skater at times he would make the wrong decision but he'd turn a puck over and he'd have such a skill ability that he would catch the guy before they got to our net yeah. like he would literally go catch the guy from his own away and then he come back and it's like, that's really not hot <laughs> to him. And so those became bigger challenges sometimes when you, you know, you couldn't always, they couldn't see it because the end result didn't always kind of turn out to be a negative, but yeah. as he grew to be more mature, I think he started to see it. And then he, you know, I'll give like Scott Oliver, who is the Midwest elite league coach for the great plains. He did a really good job with Reed the last two years on helping him kind of learn because when you get into those areas that you can't make those mistakes as much because everybody can skate kind of at that level. So yeah. there's things that they do and other people that helped out, but obviously it's just kids learning and, and growing from kind of their play. How, how hard is that to tell a kid, you know, you made a great effort play. Everybody's patting you on the back, but hey, you screwed up. You yeah. you screwed up royally right yeah. before that happened. How how tough is that to get that message to come through when everybody's patting them on the back, saying, "Wow, great back check." Yeah, and that's you know, I think that's the challenge of being both teacher and coach at all times. And I think it's just how you approach it. You always try to start with compliment. You, you give them the instruction, but you try to end with something positive. And I think that as long as you're doing that, and they're not. You don't want to you don't want to get to the point where you're beating them to the point where they don't want to make that play again because you still want them to take those chances. You still want them to to have the the anticipation and have that aggressiveness that they want to make a play. Mm-hmm. But it's just approaching in a way where it's teachable and they can learn from it and they don't feel like it's the end all be all of the world if they do make a mistake because I've seen plenty of times where kids they lose that confidence and when they lose the confidence then you've lost them. It's just so, done. They're toast. Yeah, it is. And then they never make that a play again. Then they never attempt it and then it just you can't can't you know you can't get them back so it's just it's picking moments and again you know i'm big on the you start with compliment you you incorporate whatever it is instruction wise but you always try to end with something good they did and then hopefully it's not like it's the you're not browbeating them but at the mm-hmm. same time you're you're helping them and you're, you're there for them and, and i think that was a lot with trust too and i think that's there's a lot of things in coaching that go way beyond x's and o's and those are relationships <laughs> and I, I think that those are important that really help you as a coach and I think every coach knows that too. It's just, it's, it's, you know, your kid, you figure out what they can do and you figure out some can, some are more open to a certain type of instruction and others are less open and and you adjust to the kids that you have. Wow. You sound like a a wizened veteran coach right now, letting, letting the kids kind of dictate, um, kind of dictate how you deal with them as opposed to the, the old school, you know, hard ass, this is the way it's going to be. I'm not changing. It's your job to mold to me. It sounds like you have yeah. a little bit more of a hybrid approach. Yeah. You know, I just think that being a high school teacher has allowed me to, to be, I'm around these age group kids all the time. You know, I, I teach juniors and seniors. So <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, you get to see, I think the everyday basis, I see them all fall. I see them in the winter. So I just, you really have learned that the, the kid today, and I'm not saying they can't, I'm not saying an old school coach can't be very, very, 
perspective because they can. And I'm not here to say that my style is better than someone else's style. I just think that over time we found success in the idea that at points you do have to try to meet the why generation because they're going to ask why mm-hmm. they want to know why. And that's, I've noticed that more than anything is that this is a, a new wave of player and kid, even in the classroom, they want it. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? What, you know, they want purpose to it. And I know sometimes for old school, they don't, they've never had to say why it's just, that is the way it is. So there can be, there can be obviously times where, where there's a little bit of a, a lack of communication there, but I'm not here to say that the old school wave doesn't work either. Cause there, there's plenty of coaches that are like way more successful and long tenured than me. And they're still very successful. And, and I'm sure if you'd ask them though, they've even adapted just a little bit. I just don't think that necessarily you can go the whole year just saying that this is the way it is. And that's what we're going to do. I think that, even the oldest and most veteran of coaches had to kind of adapt their way of communication. Cause I think that coaching is communication. I mean, it's especially in high school, these kids got so many things going on beyond just what's <laughs> happening on the rink. So, and I think that the most successful ones get that. And I think that the relationship building is it's, it's just as important sometimes as anything else that you're going to do. Wow. That was, uh, that was lovely. That was really refreshing to hear kind of a measured approach to coaching where you're blending blending both sides. Derek, I got, I got one final question for you and this is the big one. Okay. This is bigger okay. than the stock market. This is bigger yep. than my currently tanking Roth IRA. <laughs> You've gone from a pretty solid buzz cut to one of the greatest swoops in the state. And I got to know what kind of hair gel are you using in that swoop? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just normal product to be real honest with you. Nothing, nothing too special. So just normal, no- normal product. Like what? Yeah, you know, just your your normal like American Crew product. Ah, so, okay, yeah. you're an American Crew guy. Well, yeah. Derek, I I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with me. We'll uh, we'll all get through this together, and uh, I appreciate it very much. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Love is a burning flame.